I would like to greet each of you in Jesus' name and invite you with me as we look into the Word of God. You know, the pages of history reveal a tragic reality. Men and women are born into the world, they exist here for a time, and then they die. No matter the nobility or wretchedness of lineage or lifestyle, the grave is no respecter of persons. People throughout history have lived and died. Of all the worldviews, both secular and religious, who can offer any evidence, any hope, any answer to this malady? Many have been the claims, but where are the victories? Has anyone conquered death? Is there any good news? If there is, it will be the most significant event in human history. The title of the message this morning is The Significance of the Resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15.1, it lays out the premise of this. Where the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Roughly 2,000 years ago, a Jewish peasant man came riding a donkey into Jerusalem. A poor man without even a home, the clothes on his back were all that he possessed. Even the lowly mount he rode was borrowed. In five days, it would be time for the beginning of the great Jewish feast, the Passover. You would think that such a man would be lost in a crowd of travelers making their pilgrimage to the feast. But this was no ordinary man. For the last three years, he had traveled the roads of Palestine, teaching and performing miracles of healing throughout the country. His miracles had been hailed with much acclaim by the common people. But his teaching from the very beginning had attracted the animosity of the powerful religious leaders of his day. After all, how could an ordinary peasant man claim to be one with God? To be God's son, to have the authority to forgive sins, and to have the ability to give life. No, he was not going unnoticed. His band of 12 loyal followers, a group of rough fishermen, tax collectors, and peasants like himself were walking before him, spreading their cloaks in the road. Many of the common folk in the crowd were waving palm branches, as if welcoming a king and shouting a royal welcome. Was this man the promised son of David, as they proclaimed? Was he about to set up a kingdom? Was he the promised Messiah through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed? Many hoped so, but for his closest followers, a shadow hung over this exciting event. Just days before this, he had told them that this trip to Jerusalem would lead to his death. Would this be true? Would their hopes and dreams be dashed? Even now, among the crowd, were those who hated him, 
men who had influence with the Roman government and the power to have someone executed. His disciples had left all to follow this teacher. They had seen many wonderful miracles and become convinced that this was the Christ. They were interested in important places in the kingdom of the Messiah, and they had committed to follow him even to the giving of their lives. But true to his word, within just a few days, everything was ripped to shreds. He was captured by the Jews and turned over to the Roman governor Pilate, beaten mercilessly and crucified. The soldiers had confirmed his death by piercing his side, and he'd been buried by two sympathetic Jewish rulers. There was no doubt in the minds of his followers that he was dead. Let's pick up the story three days later in the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading at verse 1, read through verse 8 to get the context of what's happening here. Luke 24, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass that they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So these were women who had gone to anoint the body of Jesus. And this was the first day of the week, three days after Jesus had been crucified. So let's move on now and begin reading again in chapter 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered, saying unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished when they were early to the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. 
there's a few things I'd like to notice from this passage. In verse 15, it tells us that they were talking about the events of the crucifixion. And then in verse 17, it says that they were sad about these events. In verse 18, it tells us that these events were public knowledge in Jerusalem. So what was happening was not, was happening publicly. And everyone in the area knew about it. And then in verse 21, goes on to say that their hopes had been dashed by these events. They had trusted that it would be this man who would redeem Israel. So here were these people. They knew that Jesus were dead, these followers of him. They knew that Jesus was dead. What would it take for them to be convinced of his resurrection? Let's begin reading again. Verse 25. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together with them. And them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why are your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he shewed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So here we have these men returning to Jerusalem and they find that Jesus had presented himself to one of the other followers already, to Peter. And as they were there together and as they were discussing these things, Jesus shows up. 
And in verse 33, sorry, in verse 37, uh, they thought it was a spirit. Jesus says, no, I have flesh and bones. Look. And then as if to prove it to them, as they were there in unbelief, he says, he takes food and he eats it to prove to them that he's not a spirit, that he is resurrected in the flesh. And then he goes on to say this in verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written, the proof of prophecy, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It had to happen. Why? Verse 47, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. The disciples were the eyewitnesses of what had happened of this thing that was prophesied by Scripture, was foretold what happened, came to pass, and the disciples were eyewitnesses, convinced of the resurrection. And then Jesus went on to say in verse 49, there's one more thing yet. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So Jesus was saying that there's one thing that needs to happen yet since the resurrection. You need to be endued with power from on high. Let's turn now to the book of Acts, chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus showed himself alive to them by many infallible proofs. They were completely convinced of his resurrection. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, we have the capstone of Jesus' words to them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they received the endowment of power from on high that Jesus had promised them. And that was the fulfillment of what he said must happen. So here we have this small band of people in Jerusalem, these disciples of Jesus, who were completely convinced that Jesus had rose from the dead, had risen from the dead. And they were eyewitnesses of what had happened. They had seen him, and they were completely convinced by that. I'd like to leave them now and go to another group of people. Jesus' enemies, the Jewish religious leaders. Several times the religious leaders had challenged Jesus about his authority. And he gave them two signs. Both of those signs were referring to his death and resurrection. The first sign is in Matthew chapter 12. 
and it's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Matthew 12, 39 and 40, he says this, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as the Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so he's saying that I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. And that's the sign that I give you, the authority by which I do these things. The other sign that he gives is in John chapter 2. This is early in his ministry. If you turn to John chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 13. John chapter 2, 13 to 22. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So in verse 17 of this passage, the disciples recognize that there's prophecy being fulfilled. There's things from the scriptures that are being fulfilled. And then in verse 18, the Jews ask him for a sign. And... In verse 19, Jesus gives them the sign that they ask for. He says it will be, if they tear down the temple, he'll raise it up in three days. But verse 21 tells us that he was not speaking of the building of the temple, but of his body. And after his resurrection, then his disciples remembered this and believed not only the scripture that spoke of Jesus dying, and rising again, but also the word of Jesus as well that prophesied that this would happen. So these Jewish leaders were given a sign by Jesus. What would happen if that sign was fulfilled? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 62 and reading to verse 66. Now this is, this passage is following the crucifixion and the day of preparation um, was the day when Jesus was crucified. Now the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, 
for he was yet alive. After three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So what I want to pull out of this passage is that the Jews remembered the signs that Jesus had given after his death. And they wanted to make sure that there wasn't a fake resurrection. So they went to Pilate and they requested a guard would be given to guard the tomb to make sure that the disciples wouldn't steal the body of Jesus because they recognized the significance of word getting out that the tomb was empty and that the words of Christ were, were fulfilled. So let's go on reading as to what happened. Chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment like the snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. So here we have the guards of the tomb being totally um, put to silence and became as dead men in the presence of this angel. And then let's go on and begin reading again in verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and shoot into the chief priests all the things that were done. So then the soldiers came from the tomb and told the chief priests everything that had happened. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and rest and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. So they had the sign, and the sign came to pass and was reported directly to them by people who were at the tomb when this happened. They had ample evidence to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, it appears as though they did believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But instead of that belief convincing them what they did instead was begin to spread the very lie that they had wanted to place the guard there to keep from happening. They told Pilate that they didn't want the disciples to steal the body away so that there was a deception. And then that very same thing 
was what they told the soldiers as a cover-up to cover the true events. And so here we have a second group of people in Jerusalem, powerful men, spreading a lie about what happened at the tomb. So these two groups of people, and I want to draw our attention back to that. We have these two groups of people that are in Jerusalem right during the time of these events, right during the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the power of the one group of men as religious leaders and the influence that they had spreading this lie and this group of simple followers of Jesus who were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead and that there was evidence to prove it. I'd like to go now to Acts 2 and look at another event. We stop reading about the disciples in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, where they were endued with power from on high. I'd like to pick up there, and I'd re like to read to verse 7. And this is the time of the Jewish Pentecost. That's chapter 2, verse 1. And Pentecost was 50 days after the crucifixion. Uh, so... It was 50 days after the Passover, which would have been 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, 47 days after the resurrection. And so here we are, 47 days after the resurrection, and these disciples of Jesus were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as other men and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? Verse 8, And how hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So here the, here's these men, and they're seeing the effects of the Spirit empowering these followers of Jesus. And so I'd just like to reiterate a little bit that we're only 47 days away from the crucifixion, I mean from the resurrection. It's public knowledge in Jerusalem. There's rumors being spread that the soldiers slept. When the soldiers slept, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And here are these disciples, these same men, followers of this Jesus, who start to speak in the language of all that are present. And these people come rushing together. And in verse 13, 
of chapter 2, the skeptics say, these men are full of new wine. They're saying these men are drunk. But in verse 15, Peter says, these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the, the third hour of the day. But in verses 16 through 18, he said, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. And in verse 21 through 24, let's read that. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So they're saying that these events just 50 days ago happened. And they're speaking of these things. And he goes on to talk in the next couple of verses, verses 25 through 28, a prophecy that David makes regarding Christ's resurrection. And in verse 29, I find something very interesting. He says, what does he use as proof? Let's see what he says here. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So he's saying, I know that David is not talking about himself. And here's the way that you can prove it. He died, he was buried, and his sepulcher is there. Go check his grave. Go check the tomb of David. David is there. But you see, that's really significant because the tomb of Christ was there too just 50 days ago. And Peter is challenging this group of people who knew that Jesus died and was buried only 50 days ago. Go check the tomb. They could easily have checked Jesus' tomb. But you see, the tomb was empty because he rose from the dead. They could have believed what the chief priests were saying, the powerful men of their day. But let's see what happens. Let's read verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people who had not seen Jesus alive believed the evidence that they had on hand, the events that happened only 50 days before, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were willing to stake their life on that belief. And this was the beginning of Christianity. And it all hinged on the empty tomb. It all hinged 
on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it would grow from that movement into a movement that would turn the world upside down. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's turn there. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12, Paul lays out here the significance of what the resurrection means. And if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and, our, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So Paul is saying here to the Corinthians in verse 14, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, there's no Christian faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, verse 17, then our sin remains. And in verse 19, there's no hope beyond this life. But if the resurrection did happen, verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If Christ did rise from the dead, if the resurrection did happen, which it did, Christ is risen then there's life and hope for every man. Everything hinges on the resurrection. That's what the Christian church from the very beginning rested on. The miracle of the resurrection was the proof that Jesus offered those who questioned his authority. What is the significance of the resurrection? What's the only credible answer that man has to the issue of death? As one writer said it this way, quote, It is either the greatest miracle or the greatest illusion that history records. And I believe that the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming, that it did happen, and that it validates Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life.
I'd like to read you an excerpt from a book that I've been reading, or several of them, several excerpts. The Christian faith is based on a historical event, the resurrection. All other major world religions are based on a philosophic or a theological system, but Christianity is founded on a space-time event. There is one event in the life of Christ that separates him from every person that ever lived in the history of the world, the resurrection. There is absolutely nothing in any philosophy or religion that compares with what is found in Jesus Christ. End of quote. Then here's another one. There is more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for the fact that Napoleon was defeated at the Battle of Waterloo or that Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor. No theory has ever been produced which could logically refute the reality of the resurrection while adequately considering all the available evidence. The Cambridge scholar Bishop Westcott, writing on the resurrection, states, and I quote, Indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no single historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. End of quote. This is coming from people who are historians, who are experts in the field of history. And you know, unbelief and skepticism could come from a lack of knowledge, but they're not a product of a lack of evidence. And I believe that too often, like the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, those things really come from a heart that's been hardened against the truth. That's where unbelief and skepticism come from, not from a lack of evidence. And that's why the enemies of, and skeptics of Christianity have fought to hide or disclaim evidences for the resurrection. Because if Christ rose, then he is the Son of God, as he claimed to be. And for the Christian, the resurrection is our hope of justification and eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 again, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And that is good news. Good news for the whole world. And yes, it's the most significant event in human history. But I want to take it deeper than that. I want to take it further than that. I want to take it to you. Are you one of Jesus' followers? Are you willing to follow the evidence where it leads to the empty tomb? You see, this is the most significant event for you individually as well. 
What will you do with the empty tomb? Will it be your life and hope? Or will you push back against the evidence like Jesus' enemies did? My prayer is that we'll come to know the living Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and gave us victory over death. God bless you.